You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I've got a heck of an interview subject for you coming up. It is Mr. Graham Bonnet. Graham is one of the greatest rock and roll vocalists of all time in my opinion. He stood out the front of Ingve Malmsteen, Steve Vai, Richie Blackmore and so many others that it would take me too long to mention in the introduction here. So why don't we cut to the conversation? But before I do, actually... Let me read out the three dates, which is actually the reason for the conversation, the three dates that Graham is performing in Australia. They're all in June. On Thursday the 6th, he is in Adelaide. Friday the 7th, he's in Melbourne. And Saturday the 8th, he's in Sydney. So let's have a listen to what he has to say. Here we go. Hey, Andrew, it's Giles. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm good, man. Yeah, thanks for calling. Great, cool. Got Graham here for you. So, um... Sorry, we're a couple of minutes late. Feel free to take the full 20 minutes. Okay, no worries at all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. All right, uh, Graham, just come over here. Ah, yeah. Just got to get him, sure. get him a seat. No worries. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the best spot to do this. Yeah, I suppose this chair is more comfortable. There you go, all right. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. How are you? Uh, pretty tired after the uh, Michael Shanker tour, but uh, apart from that, I'm here and I'm okay. <laughs> Not well, too bad. Well, uh, we don't want you to be too tired. You've got to look forward to us, right? And, uh, oh, I you know. know. <laughs> yeah, it's a long trip over there. I, yeah, I lived there for about three years because uh, my ex-wife is from Adelaide. Oh, so wow. I, I, love, I love Australia. I really do. Okay. Did you live in Adelaide or elsewhere? No, I've just lived in Adelaide. She okay. was from Adelaide and... Uh, her family is from there, and uh, all that kind of thing, and her friends. So it's, it was pretty cool for about three years. Yeah, well, you got you got one over me. Then I've been everywhere except for Adelaide. Uh, so oh, yeah. <laughs> you'd be the one oh, for me to I talk like to. Adelaide. It's a pretty nice city. Yeah, and and, and Adel- what's the term for people who come from Adelaide? Adelaideans or what have you? I've always noticed yeah. they're very they're very culturally inclined, aren't they? They're very artistic. Oh, they are. A bit. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, that's Australians for you, you know. It is, yeah, yeah. Well, we're pretty, pretty diverse nation, I think, as you probably found out. If you were here for three years, you sort of got a feel for things, I think. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And I, I played with, uh, you, you know, with a, a band out there for three years while I was away from America. It was pretty cool. But then I got a job back in in the states, and I had to travel backwards and forwards, and it wasn't very good. You know, having jet lag permanently, yeah. it was a bit impossible. Yeah, but you know, the thing about Australia is, I think I'm I'm right in saying this. We've always been a very strong territory for you personally, as in, yeah. in other words, musical sales. So can and this is before obviously you lived in Australia. What do you attri- yeah. what do you attribute that that success in Australia to? Can you put it down to anything in particular? I don't know. I think it was probably my connection with the Bee Gees at first, um, yeah. because they wrote the very first song I ever recorded with my cousin Trevor, uh, "Only One Woman." And then, of course, I came along later with uh, Warm Ride. And uh, Baby Blue was written by Bob Dylan, I know. But I think it was because of my BG connection a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that helped me along, you know. And I was, in fact, very surprised that um, anything happened with that song in Australia, the Baby Blue song, because I released it in England way before Australia. And um, it didn't do anything. And people just ignored it completely. You know, but uh, that's the BBC in England for you. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. they, weren't, they weren't very into Graham Bonnet at the time for some reason. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we 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 still are. So I hope. Uh, well, if if the, you know, know you don't get much English love, mate, come over here again. So uh, there's been. A- I appreciate that anyway. That's great. Yeah, but, sorry, carry on. No, but there's there's been a really good response to the announcement of the tour, hasn't there? And this has come. The interesting thing that I've noticed here is that when I've noticed some of the chatter online. 
the younger yeah. fans, and that's so important for an artist, isn't it? Because you know you can you can get the existing fans, and they're going to turn up. But when you get the younger fans coming through, who are aware of your history with Rainbow, especially Rainbow, you wouldn't believe yeah. the amount of people I talk to online that know about your existence and Rainbow and the wonderful work that you did there with Richie. But you know Alcatraz, you know MSG, Michael Schenker. There's heaps yeah. of stuff you've done, mate. So. Again, a bit of a similar question to the last one. Are you aware of your, your youth audience and the fact that you do have an appeal that stretches across the ages? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, for instance, we were touring – well, I can't remember where we were now. But, I mean, some of the kids uh, that, that – what was that little town we played? Lafayette, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah uh, Lafayette uh, over here in the States. We, we played this town, and I was going back to the tour bus – and these kids come up to me, I'm thinking, you know, these are someone's children, you know, and mm. probably with their mums and dads coming to the show, but they actually were coming to the show and they gave me three or four albums to sign. One one of them being one of my solo albums that uh, did very well in Australia and mm. Rainbow and also Alcatraz. And these kids must have been about, I would imagine, 17 years old, possibly. Yeah. And they said to me, your music, man, I love you. It's very funny because they're just saying how much they love the music, and I'm thinking, how the hell do these kids know this stuff? Mm. But obviously, it's, um, there's suddenly a resurgence of so-called heavy rock uh, bands. Now there's more interest in Alcatraz than there was probably back when Alcatraz yeah, first. I've noticed that. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a drag because now I'm like 195 years old. <laughs> I, wish, I wish that had happened when I was still 30, whatever I was, 30-something. Yeah, look, yeah, I, I've look. We both noticed it, and here's my theory, okay? Because I do have a theory about these things, and you're in a similar position to Eric Martin from Mr. Big, in that you're uh, a universally renowned singer. So if people want to learn how to sing, they eventually yeah. arrive at you. They eventually get to the point where they go, okay, he's the guy up the top. That he's a guy. He's an aspirational voice, is what I call you. You've got an aspirational voice. So do you get a lot of that interaction online and with fans, like budding young singers coming up and saying, look, I heard you on record, man. How? How do you do that? Uh, I have, yes, I have, but not, not too often. Uh, but uh, a lot of people – I used to give singing lessons at one point uh, years ago, many years ago, probably about 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, I got bored with it because I wasn't very good at it. I'm, I'm a very impatient person. And uh, some of these people that came along to sing, to, to learn how to breathe, sing, whatever, um, I, I lost patience with them because they just had no clue. And a lot of them yeah. came to me and said, how can I sing like you? I said, you'll never sing like me because – your body's a different shape. Your head is a different shape. You won't get the same sound. I'm very lucky that I've got a big head. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in the nicest possible way. I've got a big head and a lot of lung power, uh, yeah. which I inherited from my grandfather, who had a huge chest, long arms, and I'm built very much like him. And uh, it all depends on the on the air, the shape of your head, uh, whatever you know what I mean. It's a sound yeah, box. It. It's, yeah. it's a yeah. sound box. And I've tried to... You know, I tried with these people, these, you know, singers in the past, as I said, these singing lessons, I was trying to teach them how to get a similar sound, but it's very hard. It's, it's almost impossible unless yeah. you want to sing like, you know, like that yeah. you know, with a really croaky voice. That's easy. Uh, you know, any, any, anybody can do that. But to get the actual timbre or timbre, whatever you want to, however you mm. want to say it, uh, of, the, of the voice it's um it's the body that uh, that voice comes from so it'll never be the same but i mean people do want to know how i do it i said a lot of breathing you know very deep breaths before i sing possibly mm -hmm. 
uh, on certain lines to get the power and the notes. If you don't have the breath, you don't get the notes, you know, mm. which is very obvious, I know, but uh, that's just the way it is. It's it's a difficult instrument to play. It's not it, yeah. you know, For me, guitar is easy, you know, compared to singing. You know, I wish I'd been a guitar player and not a singer sometimes, you know. I mean, I play guitar, but I don't, I'm not Mr. Lead guitar player. But I, I've been playing since I was 11, and I always thought that I'd take my guitar playing a bit further. Hmm. But then when somebody said to me, you sing well, you know, I thought, oh, okay, I'll pursue that. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a really good explanation, actually, because I do host a podcast series, so if it's cool with you, I'll release this as, uh, on my podcast uh, series yeah. because it's really important that I think – I've got I've got listeners all over the globe, barely any here in Australia, unfortunately. I don't know how that's worked out, but mainly in the US, actually. And, and I know there's a lot of aspiring musicians in there, and to hear that from you, mate, should give them... Um, it's it's, yeah. a, it's a word of encouragement, but it's a solid word of advice. Sage words and wise advice there, so there you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know. yes. Hey, I'll... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna punish you a little bit though, because I'm from nah. Brisbane and there's no there's no bloody Brisbane show. So if I can get down to Sydney, I'll try and get down to that one there. But uh, you know these these three shows, man. I mean, in yeah. Australia, how long has it been since you've you've been down here? Oh, it's a few years now. I, I was out there with um, that show that's called um, oh, what's it called? Countdown. Oh, Countdown. I can't think of the name of the show. Oh, awesome. You oh, know awesome. Uh, Molly Meldrum's thing. Yeah. Countdown. And we had, um, I came out there, Rick Springfield was the headliner, and there's a whole bunch of other people on the show, but it was uh, it was grueling, you know, traveling in a tour bus, again, which is uh, not my favorite way to travel, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, two million other people. And But the show was, I don't know how many hours long, but it was very long, big production, you know, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that was about maybe 2007. 2000, yeah, 2007. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that was the last time I was in Australia. Uh, performing god the parties after that one would have been fantastic i imagine <laughs> you know with molly hosting things i didn't join in you know i i'm now a recovered alcoholic well recovering oh, right. because you're, you're always an alcoholic but i never went to parties because of the temptation of the the dreaded drink but yeah. it doesn't bother me it doesn't bother me at all now you know i've got i'm way past that now i, I don't even want to drink anymore but that was my downfall a lot of a lot of time you know with, oh, yeah. um, okay. performing and being punctual etc etc mm. you know the drink became my lover and uh, i lost the, the thing that i really love and that's my music you know mm. gosh okay god that's really saying something because you've, I you've... Think that, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well look you've performed with i can't think of anybody else like you graham because you've performed with with probably the greatest guitarists of all time or certainly i mean out of the list that you've worked with, you'd probably only need to add Van Halen. I'm talking about rock and metal guitarists, by the way. Yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, you only need to uh, add Van Halen to your list and you would have done them all. So just a quick roll call. A very yeah. young Yngwie Malmsteen. Uh, a very, uh, what's the word for Michael Schenker? He's, he's notoriously difficult to be around and work with, I think, and not necessarily even in a bad way. It's just that I think he's very shy, isn't he? That's what I keep hearing from other artists. But uh, Michael? Yeah, yeah, like, he is very much so. Yeah, yeah. He has to keep himself to himself, so to speak. Yeah, and and Vi, Steve Vi, um, and and probably the greatest guitar innovator of all time, in my view, being Mister Richie Blackmore. You've worked mm -hmm. with them all, but the one that I want to I want to single out is Malmsteen, of course, because he's had the most interesting career. Um, yeah. And I got to say, how how did you work with him? Uh, I know he was very young back in those <laughs> days when you worked with him, but his uh, ego uh, through the eighties and nineties was out of control. Yeah. Uh, well, when, when he uh, was given the job by our band, Alcatraz, um, he was very, very humble and uh, sw the sweetest guy I could ever meet. 
and wanted to do everything that we wanted, play perfectly, etc. which he did. I mean, I was so impressed when he came in and just auditioned with a song we gave him to learn. He just came in and just blew, it blew us all the way. Mm-hmm. He was so amazing, you know. And uh, what happened as he played with his more live, he realized that the audience were looking at him. And so the ego began to, you know, grow a little bit. And he realized that he could outplay me because he could turn up to 11. Mm. And you can't, you can't fight with a guitar. Yeah, I say yeah. you can't fight with a loud guitar. And someone who's a little bit taller than you. And what, what you see is how he's playing. You know, you see all the fingers moving up and down. But you don't see what's inside a singer's body, what they do to produce that sound. Which, as I was saying before, it's much more difficult to do that than to play a guitar, I can tell you. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, playing a guitar is a piece of piss, to, to put it mildly. It, but I, I can't play like him or anything. But he, his ego just grew incredibly after about, I don't know, probably about six months after our album was released. He just realized he was the guy that the audience were captivated by. And mm-hmm. I quite understood it because, as I said, you can see what the guy's playing. You go, wow, look how fast, how fast that is and where his hands are going and all the rest of it. And um, he just became, I, I thought, you know, I knew he was going to leave. I, I knew he had his own career up his sleeve somewhere or other, you know. And mm-hmm. our manager at the time kind of went along with him. And eventually Ingbe was fired by the band because of certain, for certain reasons. And our manager, who was, you know, up his backside was uh, fired too because he mm-hmm. wasn't interested in the band anymore. He was interested in the Ingve Mousin show. Yeah. And he gets uh, to where Ingve is now, you know. So we can thank Andy Truman for that, for giving him a great career and, um, you know, a stage to play, you know. Mm. Yeah. Well, the other fellow who um, who was sadly departed, and I've got to say, mate, I think, think it's one of the great and overlooked vocal drum duos is yourself and Cozy Powell. I love listening to you guys perform together on YouTube, especially some of the live stuff that's on there. But Cozy Powell, there's there's just he's so criminally underrated, I think, as a drummer, a percussionist, and, and again, an innovator, a hard rock and heavy metal innovator behind the kit. But mate, what what are your recollections of working with him? Well, he was a close friend, obviously. Hmm. And um he was very much like me, you know, he wanted to just uh, play the music, play it the best he could and give people hell, you know, and that's what I try to do. You know, it was like um, nobody sleeps when we're on kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and Cozy always said, you know, I play like a hooligan and I tried to sing like a hooligan, like he played, you know, but he was a, a very close friend. And, um, uh, you know, he's friends with John Bonham, mm. another great drummer, um, you know, and it just when he was killed in his car that was just it just it, it almost killed me mm. i got a phone call from uh, don airy and oh, he yeah. said he said to me um he said to me graham it's the boy i said what boy coes what do you mean he's gone i said what and then he told me what happened and coes was in a good a good a good time in his life. He was thinking about getting married to his girlfriend. And that's what he was doing. He was driving on his way to see her. Mm. And I'm not sure if he's going to propose that day, but he'd been drinking. His, his safety belt wasn't on. And he was driving 100 and whatever miles an hour, like he always did. And he was uh, thrown from his car, and the car landed on top of him. Mm. And uh, it's um, a tragedy. But uh, Cozy should have known better. 
because he was a race car driver as well as a, a motorcycle driver yeah. racer. Yeah. And he should have known. But uh, he was foolish enough to be drinking and not wear his safety belt, you know. And uh, it, it breaks my heart still. You know, I'm thinking about him now and it just brings a tear to my head a little bit because he was a very, very close friend. Mm. And I loved him like a brother. I really did. Well, I'm sincerely sorry for the loss of your buddy there, mate. I can tell yeah. and hear how important he was to you, mate. But he's, he's important to everybody, frankly. I just don't realise... I don't think people realise out there on the rock and metal and even pop music how much of an influence he's had over everybody. I, I yeah. hear... I know, I, Being a musician myself, I can hear the influence of his beats and rhythms even in hip-hop. Can you believe yeah. that? It's all yeah. over yeah. the shop because of the way he held the drumsticks was unlike anybody else. And I'm totally yeah. with anybody, in agreement with anybody that if Led Zeppelin decided to soldier on, there was only one guy that could have done that, and that was Absolutely. Cozy. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. He used, his sticks were like, uh, they were like tree trunks. He used to use very, very heavy sticks. They were like baseball bats almost, mm. you know. Um, very heavy sticks and a, a damn hard player. And... Uh, well, he was the first person I saw that had a hit record in the, the chart with uh, Race with the Devil, I think it was called. Right. Or Dance with the Devil, Race with the Devil or Dance with the Devil. A drum record. And I remember seeing it on Top of the Pops in 1960, I don't know, in 65 or something, maybe 66. Mm. And he had this hit record, a drum record, unheard of. You know, a yeah. drummer got a hit single, well, you know, and there he was. And then I heard him play on Donovan's music, you know, Hurdy Gurdy Man, etc. Yeah, yeah, a bit, yeah. You can spot him a mile off, you know, when you hear those drums on Hurdy Gurdy Man, there was another one uh, he did with, with uh, Donovan. I can't remember the song now. But anyway, he was definitely, a, you know, he, could, he had a certain sound, the way he played. He pulled everything back, very soulful. He played the song. He didn't just play the beat. He played absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. The first musical drummer that I certainly, I reckon, exactly. yeah. I mean, I know there's Gene Krupa and uh, Buddy yeah. Rich and all these guys, but I just think Cozy took it to brand new heights, and and yes, that yeah. that had not, not been invested. He was a guy that would uh, come to rehearsals and edit the songs and say, you know, you shouldn't go there with that bit. What should happen here? You know, he would uh, suggest the way the arrangements should go, and that's a musician. Hmm, indeed, yeah. I think I've got time for one more, mate. Is that cool? If I ask you one more question, um, what gives you the greatest sense of pride and and accomplishment when you look over your career? Because, mate, there's a lot of highlights. Oh um, well, I'd, I'd have to say Castle Donington when uh, the, the night I left Rainbow in 1980, when Cozy left the band, and so did I, and uh, that was a great night, but a horrible night because he was leaving. We tried to get him to stay, which we were speaking to like six in the morning at a holiday in, in Leicestershire, I remember. Mm. And uh, he was determined to leave because he was bored with what was going on. He had a better offer. Um, you know, he wanted to do something different. So he decided he would leave. And um, Don was going to leave. Don Aries was going to leave. And then uh, I did. Don stayed, but I, I left. And I kind of kicked myself now for leaving the band because I think I should have stayed a bit later with Rainbow. But so uh, that was Castle Donington, nineteen eighty, was a huge event. That uh, the you know the people that put that thing on didn't think we would get the crowd we did. You know they they expected to get I believe it was eight thousand people. They thought oh we can deal with that. And it ended up being a, about a hundred thousand people. It was it was just the most amazing night I've ever 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 experienced. It really was. I'll never forget it.
Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Mate, you're a legend. You're actually one of those people I had on my bucket list to talk to, and I've done well over 400 at this point. So thanks very much for being available. Thanks for coming down to Australia. And, mate, uh, congratulations, and thank you for, for doing what you're doing with your wonderful career. Your music will live on through the ages. Oh, thanks, man. That's very kind of you. Thank you. My pleasure. No worries, mate. All right, good luck with everything. Yeah, see you soon. No worries. For sure, mate. Gotcha. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that also syndicates for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and that interview subject was the one and only Graham Bonnet. Thanks so much for listening.